0: This is Pipelines and Turbines, the podcast that explores the hidden side of North America's energy, with Jason Switzer, Leo Rothschild, and Dan Zilnick. Welcome to Pipelines and Turbines. I'm your host, Leo Rothschild, and I'm with a special guest that I am so privileged to be sitting down with here and speaking to you with Hala Mukherjee and she is the president of BASF Canada. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Paula was appointed to her role in March of 2021. And prior to moving to Canada, Paula was director of sustainability of value chains for BASF located in New Jersey. She's held various positions with BASF group in the US and Singapore and joined BASF in 2006 through an MBA leadership development program. Paula started her career in research at National Starch and Chemical and has worked in various disciplines such as strategy, marketing, technical services, and sales across Europe, as well as Asia and the Americas. I'm so happy that you've made time through a busy week and and, an exciting event to sit down with me. Welcome, Paula, to Pipelines and Turbines
1: thank you leo it's indeed a pleasure to be here in uh, 3d and seeing you for the first time it's 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 an amazing feeling it's, it really feels going prior back to the pandemic and i can't be happier yeah. being here in this beautiful venue beautiful weather and sitting down and talking with you
0: and we can talk without having to say oh you're muted <laughs> exactly
1: exactly we have been used to that, but let's kind of unmute that part and kind of go into the real person and having this interaction. Happy to give as many hugs and uh, yes. handshakes out as possible.
0: Wonderful. And Apollo, I feel like there is so much to talk about, but let me, before we get too far, I just want to take a moment because we, you know, it is it is kind of historic that we're here in person after two very difficult years of pandemic. And let me thank you for all that you've done and your company has done during, the, especially the early days of the pandemic, because, you know, now it, it's kind of like, it almost feels like a million years ago to think back on what was happening when COVID-19 sort of first changed our lives. And it was really companies like the ASF who pivoted really quickly, turning some of the chemical facilities into production of hand sanitizer, that made a huge difference in the early days of the pandemic. And then going well above and beyond that, your company launched this online marketplace, free marketplace for companies and hospitals, and schools, and others who desperately needed PPE to be matched with the suppliers of that PPE, including ventilators and all the you know, life-saving things that uh, really have helped us get to where we are now at the stage where now we have vaccines and so yeah, we're we're, we're hopefully putting this behind us. But uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that and I know you're inheriting some of that, but what is it about the company and in particular BSF Canada that allows or enables that kind of nimbleness during uh, an emergency like pandemic?
1: Sure, thanks for highlighting and really recognizing that effort. Look, the pandemic caught all of us by a big surprise and it was a crisis i mean now we are seeing encouraging signs we are emerging from it you and i are speaking in, in live in person two years ago at this time we were all kind of like in our own little spaces on you know unsure what's happening outside so bsf just to give you a context for your listeners we have been around for 158 years and uh, being in the manufacturing sector, managing crisis is part of our organizational structure, right? So there are three things about the, about the pandemic that helped us pivot. One was this dealing with the crisis management, right? So we could easily figure out what is going on, kind of take a structured look and see what we can do. Second, our core value is around health and safety of our employees and in the communities that we work in. We always want to help out whenever we can, especially when there is health and safety that's involved. And thirdly, I mean, we manufacture a lot of goods. We are known for our physical assets, but we ship out a lot of goods. Mm-hmm. And we rely on digital platforms to ship out a lot of goods. So these three things actually kind of came together during the pandemic. So globally, BSF launched something called Helping Hands in the early days whereby we wanted to contribute to the health and safety of our employees, of our communities. And we started to look at what assets we could use to help produce some of those goods that was desperately needed. Now in Canada, we don't have those big asset verbones as we have in say Europe or in Asia or even in in our Gulf Coast in the US. But what we had, we looked at our site footprints and PS of Canada is extremely innovative and entrepreneurial company. you know, I would say a company in terms of the nimbleness. We always always looking for how we can do this. We never say why we cannot. We always ask, how can we? So we looked at all our sites and Windsor stood out. Windsor is a plant where we make automotive refinish paints, mm. but they are able to handle alcohol related products, which go into the hand sanitizer. So, because of that, we actually chose that site. We were able to make enough hand sanitizers and we donated 47 cases to communities in need, especially to the indigenous communities. And that goes across Ontario, Alberta, as well as Quebec. And very proud of the team, yes. Yeah? So, because they pivoted to something that is important. You know, that's the culture of BSF. We want to contribute wherever we can and make it as good for the people and the communities as we possibly can. Now, in terms of the digital platform and matching, that was developed as a rapid response where we actually had access to some of the digital platforms in supply chain. And we, we said, why can't we do this? Why can't we pivot and we try to make this as a matching, because we are always about figuring out just-in-time delivery, right? So it's about that matching part, mm-hmm. right? So it kind of came together, and we were developing something here in Canada, and it just was a right fit. So I would say, the it was a lot of infrastructure that we had built, but also looking at it from an entrepreneurial perspective to say, how can we help? That helping part is part of BSFC DNA.
0: Yeah. This is maybe an aside, but what happens to that platform going forward?
1: So we are actually working with another party to keep it alive. And we have interest from universities to kind of take it over. Because right now it's uh, the rapid response platform is no longer functioning, yeah? So we need to put some more investments and we want to give it to people who actually can do some more work on it and keep it alive. So this came out of the bulky investment we did. And uh, we have a JV partner who we are going to give this platform to, and they will be working with the universities to keep it uh, going.
0: Awesome. I was really impressed with that. So I'm, I'm glad that there's plans to develop it further in the future.
1: And, you know, one of the things I would say, you know, when you respond to an emergency, people in the communities, people in the government remember. They remember the fact that you helped them. And because they remember, they reciprocate that very eagerly and openly. So we are able to, you know, after the pandemic, actually during the pandemic, we were investing in our plant in Windsor for new spray booths. And I can tell you the accessibility to the government was tremendous to cut some of the red tapes and get it done. So we didn't do that for that benefit, but it comes along with it, right? So every good deed Mm. sparks another.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I want to capture that for our listeners. What you're saying, if I understand correctly, is that just by responding to what's needed, we need to maximize, leverage our sort of expertise in getting these essential goods out to the places where they're needed. We're going to sort of leverage our expertise in doing that, build this platform that's essentially a free service for uh, those that need it most. And doing that actually also opens doors for you when you're looking to do business with government and...
1: Absolutely. yeah. And also with the communities. They are your biggest supporters as well. So they know that you got their back. So they got your back as well. So yeah. it's, a, it's a mutual, again, as I said, we didn't do it because of that. We knew that was the right thing to do, but we did the right thing to do. There are other good things that have come along.
0: You're building a track record of doing the right thing, yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit because there's, there's something that I want to ask you about that I think is really unconventional, and for those that don't know about it, I want to just highlight it because, uh, so BASF is a CBSR member, and another CBSR member that we work closely with is Bullfrog Power. And BSF has partnered with Bullfrog to do something that I'm kind of like, what? Big global chemicals company working with a company in the renewable energy sector to produce a documentary? That's kind of a pretty unconventional. So I wanted to ask you about that. And I know that I've seen the film called The Afterlife of Waste. Highly recommend it. You can watch it for free on YouTube right now. But I'm just wondering a couple things. things. Why, why did... BSM choose to, hey, let's make a documentary, why not? I'm curious how that decision came about, take us kind of the inside of that. But also you produced that documentary in the midst of a pandemic. What was that like?
1: Yeah, so let me first say that it's been a labor of love. Yeah, so we're not Hollywood filmmakers, (laughs) yeah, by any stretch of the imagination, but we wanted to talk about circular economy in an informative and entertaining way. And what we wanted was to have, integrate different perspectives all in one. A documentary is a fact-based, but it also captures emotions as well. So people can get some of the purposes, some of the whys we need to do this. And it allows for a different type of communication. Now filming this amid the pandemic, while you may say, oh, it had challenges because you could not, convene people in one place and shoot and, uh, and get it edited very quickly, it allowed us, on the flip side, to get more perspectives, more diverse perspectives than we could have had had we had to convene people in one place. So in some ways, it kind of worked out. Where we had a bit of an issue, I would say, or is around the launch of this afterlife of waste. We wanted to do an in-person premiere. That's where pandemic really showed up and said, hey, you're not going to be able to do this, yeah, because there was lockdowns, etc." So we, again, we had to, every best laid out plan needs an alternative, yeah, you need to be able to pivot and change. And we went into an online digital premiere. And we launched it earlier this year. Actually, we did it in February of this year. It's available on YouTube. This has already garnered 3,000 views and rising every day. It has, what has also enabled us to do with this documentary is to open up new doors. I mean, we actually blasted it to many of our suppliers, our customers, our stakeholders, ecosystem partners. And they're like, wow, this is great. I have been sent it to some of the ministers that I... I'm personally connected with, and, you know, they appreciate the fact that we take a fresher look, a fresher perspective, and it's not your stale communications, it's actually something that people can get information and understand why, the purpose, right? So, I think it's, it's a great way to give different voices a platform. They, you know, you might not always be aligned, but you have a common objective in reducing plastic waste, Plastic doesn't belong in the environment. It really does not. And the afterlife of waste has that singular purpose. So, having like minded companies participate, bring different perspectives in, as well as to collaborate on a common objective. And, uh, you know, complementary skill sets are fantastic ways to partner with you. So, that's why I think the afterlife of waste worked out in the way it did.
0: Yeah. Well, you heard it here. You heard Paulette speaking passionately uh, about this passion project, Afterlife of Waste. Like I said, I think you should definitely check it out. It's a short film, about 30 minutes. Yep. And you can watch it for free on YouTube. Check it out. I want to go a little bit further while I brought up Bullfrog Power because you also have a partnership with that organization on a 22 kilowatt solar power installation in the community of Hiawatha, First Nation. Mm-hmm. Another kind of unconventional move for what's typically known as a chemicals company, although I know BASF has all kinds of business lines. But I'm just wondering, how did that come about and why was that community in particular chosen?
1: Sure. So a partnership with Bullfrog Power, it started in 2018, and it was centered around to support our climate goals. Yeah, so that's the fundamental. And while we were working closely with any partner, we always asked them, what else are you working on? Mm. Where else can we support you? And sometimes partners- those are, those are
0: brilliant questions, by the way. I feel like that doesn't get asked enough. What else are you working on? How, how can we help you? That,
1: yeah, and, and, awesome. and you, you know, I think that's part of the, because we want to strengthen, when we look at for partnerships, we don't want to just say it's transaction, it's only for this one thing. Can it be broader? Can it be bigger? Can it make bigger impact?
0: And you never know, they might just answer with, Well, we've got this documentary project. <laughs> exactly.
1: Or we have this interesting project that we're working on in the old railroad stop building where we want to put in solar panels. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, this is also part of the energy transformation. And for us, it was to give back to the community. It was to partner with somebody who's like-minded, as I said, has complementary skill set but has a common objective. And we can actually partner with them and make a difference. Now, you might say it's a smallish 22 kilowatt hour, it's not that huge. Yeah, it's not. But for that particular community, it's big. And it, the, those little things kind of add up. And we look for projects where we can actually make an impact on the community. And more will come i mean i'm working with them right now on a, another project yes so more to come in the future globe we can talk more about that yeah?
0: not ready to announce it here not, no not
1: yet not yet okay, because that's... it's in the it's in the concept phases okay yes, we'll so... be
0: on the edge of our seats we're, we're big fans of both bsf and bullfrog so we'll look forward to seeing more collaborations between your two companies and we talked about the documentary and the effort to really bring a circular economy to the mainstream mm-hmm. I, been really especially interested in the innovative rest chain program that like you said you you launched it at globe a couple of years ago yeah for anybody that's hearing about rest chain for the first time it's this uh, really interesting blockchain technology that's tracking plastic materials tell us more about it make sure i got it right but how does it work and also knowing that you launched it 2 years ago what's the market response been
1: yeah, Leo, so Arrested Chain in 2000, when we launched it, it was really a proof of concept, right? So it has never been done before, where you can actually have a twinning, a digital and a physical twin. And with a back-end blockchain technology, To the goal is to incentivize the stakeholders to recycle waste. To recycle plastic waste, better waste management. Create more of the circular feedstock because we know that extended producer responsibility is coming to Canada, and people need that circular feedstock. So how do you create that? Mm-hmm. Right. So the rest chain was designed with that in mind. Now, what we launched at Globe 2020, and we had subsequently worked in Vancouver this pilot project was an initial proof of concept. Now, actually, I'm happy to report to you: is in 2022, we are taking it to Alberta and we are gonna do into a real pilot with proper scaling technology. So we are actually going to the phase two. We are working with multiple stakeholders because you can imagine that it's a proof of concept, the technology works in a controlled environment. When you take it out, it may or may not work. It had some quirks. So we have, we are looking for, we have been looking for new technology that can actually help us take it into a scaling real world pilot. Because in the end, that's what will matter. You you cannot keep it in your little lab and just expect that this thing would work. What works is real life solutions and that's what makes a difference. So we are gonna be launching that soon and I'm hoping to share some more developments with you Coming soon. So between that and, and bullfrog collaboration, <laughs> we have more to talk. Look at all
0: these the placeholders we're putting in for future podcasts. That's, right, that's, that's awesome. Right, really. That's that's great. So beyond notice, Alberta, the rest of the chain is coming, and what an exciting opportunity that would be, especially for the petrochemicals industry that is really growing in in Alberta. So huge opportunities there.
1: And we have been fortunate enough that whenever we go to many of the stakeholders and ecosystem partners, they are ready to partner with us because they know that this is this is part of the solution that, that is required by the industry. Right. So, you know, when we talk to brand owners, when we talk to converters, when we talk to other producers, they are all ready and eager and ready to partner. So awesome. it's a very important step, you know, for us.
0: And let me just make sure that I, I have my head around it. So is the idea that, if this blockchain technology is embedded in the plastic that we use safer water bottle, and then that water bottle becomes like some form of packaging later, like a like a plastic box, then so
1: you would identify that as a recycled content. Yes. Okay. And
0: the same sort of identifier of the, for that product. So you could whether it changes into then like a, some kind of a plastic cover for your sandwich, it would always have the same sort of digital marker that you could trace it the life of that plastic.
1: So you would be able to figure out that this is a recycled content, okay. right? So okay. when you make it, it gets that marker that would allow you to say, hey, this actually is of recycled content. Right. So, so it wasn't
0: single use. It so the
1: twinning s- part, you know, the physical and the digital twin is more difficult to bring it in real every scale than outside of a controlled environment, I would say, right? So what we are looking for now is a digital marker with the blockchain to essentially say, hey, this is a recycled content. Now we will be adding the physical marker as well, but at a later point. The point being is that at least you can identify that this is a recycled content. And that's the first step. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have to create the loops of the same material because it doesn't matter. In the end, what matters is that, are we getting enough of the recycled content in so that you know, when you manufacture the next product, you can say, hey, it's made out of 100% recycled content. Right. How do you ensure that? That is the critical question.
0: Right, right. So Not you, how you many times verify. it has
1: gone through it.
0: Understood, yeah. Thank you for helping me to clarify that. And hopefully that's helpful to others that are also wrapping their heads around it because it's, it's very unique.
1: It is. It is. And, you know, there is more and more focus on getting this recycled content certified because the certifying bodies also want to know, how are you bringing this in? And that's one of the big proof points. So when you go to a consumer and the consumer chooses one bottle versus the other because of recycled content, they want to be sure that it actually does have 100% recycled content. And that's important for them to make the decisions as well. So you can't just say, let's leave it to, oh, yeah, it is recycled. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: It's kind of like the early days of organic. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're fine-tuning it, right? So yeah. you're fine-tuning it and you're certifying it. And that's what's important because proving it, and we have seen that several times, is that it's important, the certification body is extremely important when you're trying to change the structure of the industry and how it looks at waste and how the ecosystem works. Because you never had to certify it. Once it was like, make waste and dispose, yeah? So, you know, it was the linear economy. didn't require the certification. When you're bringing it back, it's a circular loop.
0: Absolutely. So there's no shortage of things to ask you about here because as we're talking about some of the unique programs that I've been kind of admiring from VASF, another interesting announcement that the company made last year was the support of uh, the Canadian expansion for Plug and Play, mm-hmm. uh, the Silicon Valley mm-hmm. based innovation hub mm-hmm. that's supporting early stage and accelerated companies. Why is BASF leaning into the clean tech startup ecosystem and what do you hope to gain from supporting the Canadian expansion of Plug and Play?
1: Sure. So BASF, we spent, you know, about 2 billion euros annually on innovation. And like sustainability, it's one of the competitive advantages of BASF. And we used to do all the innovation in-house, but the world is increasingly complex, consequential and interlinked, yeah? And I'll say that a couple of times as well, maybe soon in the other places. And those three words are extremely important because complex, consequential, and interlinked means you cannot do all innovation by yourself. You just can't. You need to leverage as many partners as possible. And partners doesn't mean companies of equal sizes or The same are the people who went to the same schools. It's about leveraging networks who think differently, who act differently, who look at problems from left to right instead of from right to left. Because you actually come up with different solutions or different solutions to the same objective and the same problem. And plug and play, you know, the ecosystem is made of. Startups Startups are fundamentally, they look at object, you know, problems differently than traditional companies, because we have our own metrics, etc. So what I can tell you that the digital solutions are creating new business models for BSF. And the startups enable us to look at digital solutions that can be linked up with our physical assets. Innovations beyond our fence lines means that we cannot interact with people as we have traditionally done in terms of supply customer relationship. Sometimes we have to acquire, sometimes we have to put in money, we have to do different types of consortium yeah, to bring those people in, into our ecosystem partnership. Plug and Play allows us this huge array of exposure to startups and we actually recently created a position in BSF Canada to look at also venture capital for BSF and it's led by Irene Yang, who some of you maybe have interacted before, and you're, you're smiling. Yes, so she was director of the our Canadian Growth Team, and she now looks at venture capital because it is so important for us to leverage the outside partnership, outside startups. And because they come up with, as I said, different solutions for the same industry, be it our manufacturing footprint. They, I mean, some of the startups, some of the pitches I've heard look at manufacturing they say why can't you do this i'm like yes why can't we do this right so they challenge because there is the challenge culture with the startups and what is the greatest opportunity for us is to engage with not only plug and play in our digital forums but also physically they're going to be located the supply chain vertical in our Mississauga office and gives us access to the entire by the way, we have a new headquarter. We are moving our headquarter amid the pandemic. So there's nothing shortage of things that you can do amid the pandemic, right? Including yeah. moving your headquarter. And plug and play will be part of that space because it's a collaborative space. It's also entices people to think differently. Think more agile, think more like startups because in the end, you don't succeed by doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Many as wise people have said that. So. Yeah,
0: I love it. So, you know, whether it's like being exposed, partnering with Plug and Play and being exposed to this tech ecosystem, or whether it's uh, developing this uh, Rust chain, uh, you know, blockchain technology for plastics uh, with with other companies, or making a documentary and putting renewable solar panels in indigenous communities. All, all of these things required, well, some creative thinking for sure, uh, but also some really interesting partnerships and collaborations. I'm curious, what would you say is your company's philosophy around collaboration and, you know, through all these unique projects? like. What's the secret sauce apala like help us understand what is the secret to developing a successful partnership
1: So having strong collaborations it allows BSF to live its purpose I mean our purpose is to really create chemistry for a sustainable future and you know that partnership allows us to live it more genuinely right So we want to improve lives of everybody you know through our products etc we know that we cannot do it on our own. So we try to find like-minded companies with complementary skill sets with a common objective. So those three things, yeah? So like-minded companies, if you are not like-minded, we are gonna have a tough time. Hmm. If you don't have complementary skill sets, we're gonna have a tough time. If we don't find a common objective, we're gonna have a tough time collaborating. So all those three are very important. Ingredients. Give you an example. Globally, we launched this collaboration between BSF and Beyond Suncare. Now, this is a pilot out in Africa. Actually, started as people working to protect. Uh, so, Beyond Suncare was working to protect people with albinism in Malawi. Yeah? What BSF has now done is create customized solutions and technical support for free for not only Malawi, but across Africa, so that Beyond Sun Care can provide solutions and improve the quality of life for people suffering from albinism in those remote and neglected communities where, you know, the solar irradiation is extreme. So another example would be from from Canada, you know, so we partnered with Imperial Science, North America's first carbon neutral signage manufacturer. Now you would say, what are we doing with a signage manufacturer? Hmm. Well, let me tell you that we were able to help them repurpose. You know, we use a sign in the Willowbrook shopping center, which is here in Langley in British Columbia, not too far away. They needed a paint because they wanted to recycle and repurpose 13 tons of aluminum from a previous structure. We were able to do that. They got the low, ultra low VOC paint. It allowed them to save on money, on avoided CO2 emissions, and now we're looking for further collaboration with them in other places. Now you would say automotive refinish business on a signage might seem odd, but that's what's required. Now we have other collaborative opportunities as well coming up. So I would say the secret sauce is those three things. It's about having that common objective Having complementary skill sets and fundamentally having like minded companies.
0: That's what's required. That's huge. Thank you for sharing that. And that point about being like minded in particular, I mean I kind of interpret it as having having a common purpose. Right. And that you know, that's something we hear a lot about here at Globe and through our membership at CBSR companies who are able to clearly articulate like why we exist as an organization, that they tend to find other companies who have similar reasons for their existence.
1: Unless you question your existence, you never understand what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know your purpose, people might not miss you if you go away. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate truth. Yeah.
0: Oh, good point. Changing gears a little bit here again, another big event that happened last year was COP26. And at COP, we saw really the convergence of a number of global sustainability standards under the new international financial reporting standards. And just last week, the SEC uh, in the U.S. made climate-related disclosure mandatory for all companies in the U.S. So knowing that all this is coming down the pipe, knowing that there's all this convergence happening, and knowing that BASF has been a real champion uh, in Canada and globally around this framework called the Value Balancing Alliance, how do you see that fitting with, you know, what this trend that I'm talking about—the the, convergence—and where do you see ESG disclosure going? Where, where, where and what kind of influence is it having on companies like yours?
1: Sure. So let me take you back a few few years. Yeah, since 2013, BSF has been talking about its value to society, and uh, we actually do. You know, in our annual reports, we talk about what's our carbon footprint, we do the carbon disclosure. And, you know, the way it has been done in the previous times is around economic, social and ecological value, you know, effects of our business activities entirely in the value chain. Now, fast forward to 2022, decade later, the question really is, how do you measure this holistic What kind of metrics do you use to drive this business decisions? Because sustainability, Lior, is no longer nice to have. It's a must-have. It's a must-have fundamental. So when you have a must-have fundamental, there are business drivers that drive that decision. Mm. And so the Value Balancing Alliance allows us to, uh, through our work, it's a nonprofit, it's made up of several member companies who question the same thing as us. What is our positive and negative impact on, of our business so that we can understand better opportunities to improve, but not only that, we assign a dollar value to it so that we can make real business decisions. In the end, we need to make something which is intangible, like sustainability, into something that is tangible in dollar terms, that it actually, we've, we all know that it actually provides value to society. We know that it has tangible benefits. Now, how do you make it happen? And having a standardized you know, platform allows for Ensuring competitiveness, safeguard this comparability, as well as minimize any sort of accounting uncertainty. The worst thing is that you give accountants like uncertain things and they'll be like, what? You can't yeah. do that. And Value Balancing Alliance aims to do that, to make it standardized so that you can have those discussions with your stakeholders with your with your suppliers with your customers with your ecosystem partners you say i pull this lever this is what it's going to right now it costs me it provides this benefit is this of importance can we do it together and most of the times the answer will come back yes but that there's a real cost to it right so we want to make sure that the dollar value is assigned otherwise it doesn't make sense yeah to do something and keep on saying yeah it's, it makes gives value to society. And I I do believe that ESG reporting is going to become more and more stringent. It's going to require people, uh, people are going to pay attention. The shareholders are paying attention. Investors are paying attention. Your employees are paying attention. Your customers are paying attention. Everybody's paying attention to what you're doing. And are are you doing what you're saying you would do? And that's important.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so... You know, we're in an age, right, where everybody's making uh, bold commitments. And so, yeah, where's the accountability? That's, that's what you're talking about.
1: Transparency and accountability. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's great. Having this conversation with you, it's really, it's really interesting, all the different things that you're touching as a company. And it's kind of amazing to sort of think that you, you're also a bit new in this role, if, if I may say so. And, you know, I read your, your bio at the beginning of the, uh, the podcast to interview you. And I'm just really kind of struck with the fact that you, you've been with BASF in three different countries, if I, if I read your bio correctly. And it seems like the, the company has a very interesting pathway for leaders like you who have different experiences. And you're, clearly you're touching so many different things and initiatives across the company, both in Canada, but also worldwide. Can you tell me a little bit about what does that process look like from the inside of BSF? Is this kind of a standard experience that, that people get?
1: Yeah, so, so you're going to ask me about the secret sauce. Well, <laughs> uh, let me just say by no means we have found the secret ingredient in talent development, right? So perhaps a good word to use would be methodical, right? Mm-hmm. So there is process and it's not, I, I won't say it's unique. I think most companies follow through but what is more interesting is that how we look at talent in different constructs and what we, the expectation is, is quite stringent. What I would say is that we have several layers of leadership pipeline. We, we have the country leadership pipeline, we have the regional leadership pipeline, and we have the global leadership pipeline. Yeah? And all three of them, all three aspects are here to identify, develop, retain talent, and give them the proper training and experiences. Now, our country and the regional pipeline, talent pipeline, feeds into the global one. The global pool of emerging talent are expected to be internationally experienced. And hence, I've worked in three different countries with BSF. Actually, I've also worked in Germany, so that's four. Okay, um, four. Not, not and uh, yeah, so uh, that came, the German experience came quite early. I was part of the leadership development program. And within one and a half years of my tenure in BISF, they sent me over to Germany to have an experience there. Now, if you talk about investing resources in your development, that's a clear sign, yeah. Mm -hmm. But let me be clear, I I don't think it's a global career is for everybody. Because A, it's impractical for the company and B it doesn't work out for everybody. Yeah.
0: So And, and moving your families. Yeah, every time,
1: exactly, it? exactly. I mean, it comes with <laughs> certain sacrifices, but it give, gives back also. There's nothing that is completely bad. And there's nothing that is completely good. It just is. And you have to balance it out, right? So, I mean, I opted in for a global career. And that's, for me, as a senior executive, I can tell you, as I said before, that three words, it's a very complex, it's a very consequential, and it's a very interlinked world that we live in. And so as an executive, having experienced, you know, the global perspective, you know, be it a working culture or, or operating markets, having those contexts helps tremendously. And I can speak it from a personal experience. It is an extremely important asset in my opinion, but again, it's not for everybody. And we should not expect that. So we also have robust leadership programs also within the country and within the region. And that's how we develop a lot of our people. But our senior executives tend to have the global career.
0: Yeah, interesting model and definitely interesting experiences. I have one more question and then I want to invite you to participate in something that will be quick, but also I think a little bit fun. So here's my last question. You've most recently come from holding a leadership position in the U.S and you're very familiar with the net zero strategy that's happening south of the border as well as in Canada. What do you see as the key difference between the two different approaches to achieving a net zero pathway in the US versus Canada?
1: Sure. The roadmap in Canada, the roadmap that is laid out by the government around net zero includes technologies, investments, willing to partner with the industries, right, to solve this very important aspect, uh, challenge, yeah, that we are all facing. And there is commitment and accountability to achieving these targets. Approaches between provinces might differ and will differ because there are different, you know, industries in those provinces. But what I can tell you that whenever I talk to any Canadian, In any place, they all acknowledge that net zero is something that we should strive for. Climate change is for real. And Canadians understand this importance of this reduction. Now, if I compare it to the net zero roadmap, you know, kind of put together in November of twenty twenty one in the US, it's the approach is more broad and loose and relies on the power of the industry. On innovation, private equity, as well as venture capital to take on the reins. So when I hear PM Trudeau talking about we must, it's a language thing. I don't hear the must part. We can, we should is what is used in south of the border. As Mm -hmm. an American, I can say that that's the, that's the mentality in Canada. It's almost, it's, it's a bit more strong. We must partner. We will partner We will solve this. We must solve this. And I think that's, that's the nuanced difference is that in Canada, people want to do this. And I feel more energized. I can tell you this, Lior, is that there's greater conviction of me in Canada that we can do this and we can implement solutions here than I would say I have in the US.
0: That's fascinating. And- you know, I think it's a great observation, and I think that some, you know, some people might sort of take the opposite view as you and say, well, you know, it's more interesting to be in a place where you know the let the market figure out, put the challenge out to the market. Whereas uh, some people might say, oh, the government of Canada is being too heavy-handed. This idea of government intervention is a negative thing. But I hear you as a, as a prominent business leader in Canada saying. It's energizing to see the government coming to the table in such a strong way.
1: Yeah, I mean, certain places, you know, government, sometimes the misstep, there is overreach, underreach. I mean, there's always going to be perspective whether, you know, what people want out of it. But as an American coming to work in Canada, I can tell you that this subtle difference in language and this... It's almost like a rallying cry that, at least for net zero, that's required. When you're saying this transformative, setting these transformative goals, you, don't, you cannot work without the policies. You cannot work outside of the governmental framework. You need the support of the government to reduce the red tape so that you can do certain things, you can make those investments, and you can have a convening power with the right collaborative partners. Those are important things. And that's what's required. I mean, going to 100% EV vehicles by 2035 and minus 42% of reduction by the oil and gas sector compared to 2022 levels ain't going to be easy. Yeah. But can it, is it achievable through collaboration between industry and government? I say yes. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you for that. But I'm, I don't want to let you go just yet because we right. do something fun here on Patholums and Turbines with, with our guests that I'd like to invite you into. And I hope that you'll play along here. We call this the lightning round. There are 10 questions and we just want a very quick answer. Don't overthink it. Okay. Have some fun with it. There's maybe a couple of questions here to, that are maybe a bit more provocative, but uh, but most of them are just sort of light and simple. So Sure. You ready to do this? Sure thing. Awesome. Thank you. What single lesson stands out to you the most from the two years of the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Leaders need to be flexible.
0: Leaders need to be flexible. I, I love the conciseness of your answer. That's great. What song or artist would you say really helped you get through the down days of the pandemic?
1: Enya's Only Time.
0: Oh, wow. You pulled out the Enya classic. Awesome. What's the last book that you read from cover to cover?
1: The Power of Moments by Dan and Chip Heath.
0: Oh, I don't know that one. Okay, I'll have to add that to my reading list. Yeah, good one. What is the best advice you've ever been given?
1: Give energy so that others can shine.
0: Energy so that others can shine. I love that. Who do you consider to be an inspirational person?
1: My erudite working mother. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, she, she's iridescent. Yeah.
1: Yes, she, and she uh, she put family on hold to pursue her career and her education.
0: Wow, it's a, she's an and, But she but
1: she eat. also but she also had the family and she also put the family first when it's required. Awesome. So, so.
0: It's great that you have somebody like that in your life. What do you consider to be the greatest career accomplishments?
1: Ah, successfully launching a product in a foreign country where I did not speak the language.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was, that was a labor of love, I tell you that. What, what Hands was? and feet were a very important part of communication. Yeah, that I was early answer. on in the career as well.
0: Wow. Awesome. That's a good one. I'm sure there's a whole podcast episode about that. What's one goal you would still like to accomplish?
1: Oh, uh, that would be actually having the product carbon footprint as becoming a nutritional label as on the products as a CO2. Yeah. So bringing that to the transparency to the consumers.
0: Oh, I love that. So you pick up the product in the supermarket and you can see the CO2 footprint of That's that product. That's right.
1: You're working towards that actually. I want to bring that over.
0: Wow. Bring it on. And again, let's put that as a placeholder for future sure podcast episode two. Okay. What is the one thing that has surprised you most about Canada?
1: The accessibility of government to industry. Hmm. Interesting. You might say that sometimes it's overreach, but I say, wow.
0: Last one. What other kinds of partnerships or collaborations are you not working on that you would love for BSF to take on in the future?
1: Open innovation.
0: What is that? What is that mean to you? Open
1: innovation, where you actually share the IP and the partnership. We. BSF, yeah, innovation is very important for us. So we are always thinking about IP and who owns that, etc. We need to sometimes open that up and say, hey, can it be a joint IP, shared IP, and kind of be an open innovation where actually the IP doesn't belong to anybody.
0: Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like an open source idea. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Let's end on that very innovative note. Thank you for going with me here because we've meandered through a lot of different topics and you have really brought it, Apala. Thank you so much for being open, sharing your thoughtful reflections and taking time out to speak with me. You've been listening to my conversation with Apala Mukherjee, the president of BASF Canada, and we thank you for joining us. Make sure to check us out on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Send us a note, tell us what you thought of this episode. Feel free to recommend topics for future podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. Make it good.